Luke 9 11. It's easy to remember because 911. Some of you are in a 911 situation spiritually, physically, emotionally. And it says there before the feeding of the five thousands that first Jesus spoke about the kingdom. Second, he healed all who needed healing. And that's the process you'll find throughout the synoptic gospels. The word went forth, then the healing took place. Many people that needed a touch from God didn't just come to him for their miracle, they came to him to hear the word. And out of their drawing to the word, to the kingdom, the miracle took place, especially the miracles that took place on the Sabbath. Always people were fascinated by the words that Jesus spoke because they had never heard anything like that before. It defied religion. It made the comfortable uncomfortable. It made demons begin to shake and flee. Every time the name of Jesus is mentioned, demons get nervous. Every time the name of Jesus is lifted up, demons have to leave. And so in a world full of haters for what we believe and what we do, I say this, let's give them something to talk about. The more they hate us, the more we lift Jesus up. When people hate, God elevates. And when they stand against our Bible, and when they stand against our morals, and when they stand against the things of the Spirit of God, I say we just keep giving them stuff to talk about. Keep worshiping, keep sharing, keep lifting up the name above every name, Jesus Christ. As I've said already today, I believe God wants to heal some people. He's still in the saving business. He's still in the healing business. He's still in the hope business. Those miracles didn't cease with the last apostle. They continue today. I've seen too many blind eyes open. I've seen too many people come off drugs. I've seen too many people losing blood, wake up in an ICU room to give up on God or his miraculous power. He is Jehovah Rophe, he is healer. You say, Pastor Ronnie, why doesn't God heal everybody? Well, if they know him, he does. You get healed on one side of eternity or the other. Either way, you're gonna be healed if you know Jesus. See, we look at everything through our little earthly lenses and the dimensions we live in. Oh, but there are other dimensions. And we have to remember, we've got a body waiting on us. We've got a city waiting on us. We've got purpose waiting on us. And we're going to rule and reign with Jesus forevermore. Matthew 11, verse 2, when John had heard in prison about the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples and said to him, Are you the coming one, or do we look for another? And Jesus answered and said to them, Go and tell John the things which you hear and see. The blind see. The lame walk, lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, and poor people have the gospel preached to them. The Bible says he sent his word 
and it healed our disease. The word always comes first in the process of healing. In Revelation, it says we are healed by two things, the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. So whenever you begin to feel ill or you don't feel like you have any hope, where you don't see a light at the end of the tunnel, begin to give God some praise. Begin to speak the oracles of God out of your mouth. Begin to tell your body to get in line with the kingdom of God. And believe it by faith. Believe God can do it. I'll never forget, before my Papa Baker died, he was fighting cancer and God had healed him a number of times. Uh, he was a Navy man, he was on the ship with the atomic bomb and he had a number of diseases, leukemia. He got healed of that. He got cancer. He beat cancer. Then he got cancer again. And he was on his last limb. And I took Reed, who was just a baby at the time, and I was really just saying my goodbyes. And he didn't talk much. I mean, all he did usually was watch the Braves constantly when I was there staying during the summers. He loved the Atlanta Braves. But this day, he wanted to talk, which was unusual. He wasn't a talker. And he said, Ronnie Jr., you're going into ministry? I said, yes, sir. He said, you're not doing that insurance anymore? I said, no, sir. He said, I want you to make me a promise. I said, yes, sir, Paul Paul. He said, my mother was Pentecostal, and she was wheelchair-bound. He said, the people at her church told her if she had any faith, she'd get out of that wheelchair. And he said, it rubbed me the wrong way, the way they picked at my mother. That's why I didn't go to church for 30 years. He said, promise me you'll never do that to people. And I promise you today, God is the healer, not me and not you. I'm gonna preach faith, I'm gonna preach speak the oracles of God. I'm gonna preach believe in God's best, but I will never pretend to know God's will for your life or to know when or how he's going to heal you because only God knows that. But I would say this, I would rather err on the side of God can do it than he won't do it. And I believe as Christians, we need to be about what he can do not what he won't do. Healing is one of God's divine attributes. It's a part of our inheritance as born again believers. We should speak it, we should claim it, we should walk in it, no question about it. When Jesus healed the centurion servant in Luke chapter seven, eight verses 10, we learned some principles of healing in this particular miracle. He says in verse eight, for I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one go and he goes and it one come and he comes. I say to my servant, do this and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed at him. I mean, here's the son of God and he is amazed at a centurion, at a leader in the army. He's amazed at him and turning to the crowd following him, he said, I tell you, I've not found such great faith even in Israel. Then the men who had been sent returned to the house and found his servant well, healed. What can we learn from this? Jesus didn't have to go there to heal him. 
This man's faith created a miracle for his servant. First principle is that the centurion was a man of authority, but he was also a man under authority. Never underestimate the power of submission. I'm not talking about abusive relationships, but when you are under the authority of not only your spiritual leaders, but your governmental leaders, as this centurion was, it positions you for a great miracle. The reason some people have not been healed is not because it is not in God's plan or his will to heal them. It is because they operate in rebellion. And the Bible says rebellion is as of the sin of witchcraft. And when you are not submissive and honorable to your teachers, to the police, to your governmental leaders, to your pastor, to anyone, your coach that's placed in authority over you, when you are not a person under authority, you disqualify yourself for a miracle from God. God honors order. The reason some of you have chaos is because you don't have order in your life. You're not on time. You're lackadaisical. You're not under authority. You don't do what's expected of you to do. You're like, like a, someone juggling six things and you're always dropping one. You don't have order in your life. It's chaotic. And you need to go back to the basics and start with authority. This centurion was a man we know from Scripture who was merciful to others. His life was about serving others. When you want to position yourself for a miracle, it won't be about you. It'll be about what God's going to do through you after you get the miracle. It'll be about, Lord, I need you to heal me so I can keep serving the less fortunate than me. Lord, I need you to heal me because I've got more things I need to do in your kingdom. Not, Lord, I need you to heal me just to chill out. He can do that in heaven. If you want to stay on earth healed, you better be walking in your divine purpose, doing what God has called you to do. We know of this centurion that he was generous with his money. Let's step on some more toes while we're going here this morning. Yeah. So he's a man in authority, which means he had people under him, but he was also a man under authority. He had a purpose in serving other people. His miracle wasn't about him. He was wanting to get his servant healed. Then he was also generous with his money. He took care of the needs of other people. He was faithful to the church and to the government. Interesting that this text teaches us, if you dive into it, that being generous, being a good steward positions you for a miracle. Don't fight with me. Take it up with the Bible. Because, I, you know, I think about all the people over the years at this church, and I could name them. But many of those patriarchs and faithful people, some, many still with us, I'm talking 30 or 40 years that have been generous. I've seen God heal many of them at least a dozen times. Because not only... Does their family depend on them and their city depends on them? This church depends on them. And God loves this church. You may not believe it, but God loves Abba's house. His spirit is here. His power is here. His grace is here. This is his house. And he loves people that take care of his house. 
And the people that have, I've seen God do miracles for. Time after time again. This man defied the culture being a soldier for the sake of faith when he spoke to Jesus and spoke faith. He knew of Jesus and believed in who Jesus was and what he could do. It's very hard to read through the Gospels without coming across a miracle. Jesus always honored religion, but he was vehemently opposed to the spirit of religion. You'd find him in the synagogue. You'd find him doing what he was supposed to do. But if ever someone had a hypocritical attitude or a judgmental spirit or started beating on those who could not defend themselves, then Jesus would get angry. And it was always with religious people. It was never with sinners. It was never with women that had been married five times. It was never with thieves. It was never with the drunkards. Jesus never lost his temper with them. He lost his temper with us because he knew we were holding people to a standard that we ourselves weren't living by. And he would speak out against it every single time and he would do things to give them something to talk about. And I believe every Christian should shine in such a way that it makes demons tremble, should be successful even in the midst of haters, should preach the gospel even when people make fun of you for it. The foolishness of preaching. One of my friends is our mayor, Weston Wong. He was third in the polls. He took me to lunch and he asked me a question. We prayed together a number of times. I've always liked Weston. I've always had a kindred spirit with him because I know what it's like to be born in the shadow of someone famous and deal with all the pressure of that. So I've always had a heart for him and anyone else that's been born in shadows and had to pave their own way. So he took me to lunch and he asked me a question. He said, how did you deal with years ago being Ron Phillips' son when everybody was going to sit there and say that everything you accomplished was because of him? I said, well, I said it, it led me away from the path God had called me to for a long time. It made me run from it. But I said, eventually I just got to a place with God where I just decided I was gonna get behind his call on my life and give him everything that I had and not worry what people thought anymore. But I said, what changed me was a Garth Brooks documentary. Believe it or not, Garth Brooks had the privilege to meet John F. Kennedy Jr. before he died. And Garth Brooks had just a few minutes with JFK Jr. And Garth's daughters were in college, they were grown. And Garth being, Garth's a very gifted person, very spiritual person. He asked a great question to JFK Jr. He said, what advice would you give my girls? Garth has three girls. JFK Jr. said this. He said, Garth, tell them this. No matter what you accomplish, how good you are at what you do, everybody will always say it's because of your dad. But be successful anyways. Give them something to talk about. 
do it anyways. And don't let that stop you from being your best. And when the devil comes whispering in your ear, reminding you of your past, telling you that you were no good, you were unqualified, you aren't as good as this or as good as that, why don't you take him to a bloody cross and an empty tomb and remind him he's been defeated and that you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. You can do whatever God's called you to do and you are not in anyone's shadow. You're in the shadow of an empty tomb and God's got a purpose for you. And I believe with all of my heart that God will use anybody that's willing to deny themselves and pick up their cross and follow him. One of my favorite miracles of Jesus was the man with the withered hand. And in Mark chapter three, it says that when he entered the synagogue again, everybody say again, which means he'd been there before. No, y'all didn't get that, y'all were asleep. So Jim, go get some Red Bull and some communion cups and just pass them around to everybody. He entered the synagogue again, which means he'd been there before which mean he'd been attending church faithfully. And a man was there who had a withered hand, means weak, bent up, and twisted. And they watched him closely, whether he would heal him on the Sabbath, so that they might accuse him. And he said to the man with the withered hand, step forward. Then he said to them, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they kept silent. Religious people always get silent when the spirit of Jesus is lifted up. And when he had looked around at them with anger, being grieved by the hardness of their hearts, he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out and his hand was restored as whole as the other. Then the Pharisees went out and immediately plotted with the Herodians to kill Jesus. So what do we learn from this? And then I'm gonna lay hands on you. The first thing we learn is what my mama used to tell me my entire childhood. How many of you got kids in the house? Oh, a lot of you, little kids. How many of you got little kids, 10 and under? If you ain't heard this yet, you are gonna hear it. It's not fair. And man, when I was a kid, I was the worst, man. And I used to do that to my mama and she'd go, life's not fair. And that's point number one, friends, life's not fair. I can't tell you why little kids get cancer, why kids get abused. I can't tell you why some people live to be 90 and some people live to be 19. I can't explain it. I'll never be able to explain it. God understands it though and he knows. The rain falls on the just and the unjust, which means sometimes innocent people suffer. Sometimes, according to the New Testament, there is a fellowship of suffering, which means you're called to suffer as a testimony from Jesus Christ. It's not fair. This man with a withered hand, we know from the Greek that he was not born with a withered hand. This was either a work-related incident or someone had done this to him. It was not fair. He'd had to live with this. 
And in the word, your, your hands represent authority. It represents your ability. And his ability had been bent up and twisted. His authority had been taken away from him. Some of you, maybe you've lost your job or you've lost your position of authority or, or you no longer have the ability that you used to have and, and, you, and your gifts are shriveled up. You need a miracle in your life. You need a restoration in your life. Not of a limb, but of your spirit. You need something to shift in you, in your attitude. You need a resurrection of your authority, a resurrection of your ability through the word of God. The word withered is a perfect passive in the Greek. This means something happened to his hand in the past. Something happened to some of you in the past. Maybe you were abused, abandoned, cursed out. Maybe things happened to you that weren't fair. Maybe you were abused by a spouse, I don't know, divorced, left, for dead, whatever it was, we all have a past. And life isn't fair. It never has been and it never will be. But I'm telling you, God has a purpose for our pain. There is a message for our mess. There is a resurrection for our struggle. There is a new day. We are a new creation. There is a new name. There is a new beginning. You don't have to live in yesterday. You're not defined by what's withered or what was taken away from you. That you had no choice in the matter. You're not to be defined by your past or what's withered in you or on you. Life is not fair. I could bore you with all the things that have happened to me that weren't fair. You could tell me all the things that have happened to you that weren't fair, but it's a part of life. Life's not fair. Number two, we learn from this great miracle that church is essential. He entered the synagogue again, which means he'd been there before. The synagogue was the place to be for several reasons in that culture. First, believers were there. The word was released. Worship was there. The word said you should go. And so this man went. He didn't show up that day for the miracle. He showed up that day because he was a faithful man. It's funny to me being, being a charismatic, which I am, I'm a Pentecostal. But it's funny to me, whenever God starts moving, people flock to something like a bunch of groupies. I, I mean, it's, it, it irritates me. I don't say much because I don't want to hinder the work of the Spirit because God really uses stuff. But I, I just wonder, like all the Pentecostal preaching you've heard your whole life, don't you know you can get a hold of God for yourself? You don't need people to lay hands on you. It's biblical, we're gonna do it, but every now and then you may be in the backside of a gutter, on a tile bathroom floor, in a bar room, in a crack house, in a meth house, I don't know, maybe in a corporation in the top floor, the best suite in the house, you're gonna have to get a hold of God for yourself. And he's available if you need him. Seek and you will find, ask and he will answer. Church is essential. He wasn't there for a miracle. He was there because church was a priority. And let me say this, friend, church still should be a priority for every Christian. I'm sorry for the pandemic. 
I'm sorry, we're out of the habit of church. You need to get your butt back in church, everybody. Thank God for all you here. You know I'm not talking to you, I'm talking to them. I'm talking to them. You folks here are here. There are many and you know who they are. They're going to Walmart, ball games, Lowe's. They can't come to church two hours a week. Come on. And mad God won't heal them. Mad God won't bless them. Blaming us that God won't do it for them. This man had every excuse not to be at church, but he was there with his withered hand. We need to get back to the church house. Jesus was there on this particular day. The fullness of the Godhead bodily was there at the synagogue the day this man went. But it's interesting, Jesus wasn't always at this synagogue. Hey, there's some times you're gonna come in here and there are gonna be some people who get touched, be in tears, their life's gonna change. You ain't gonna feel nothing. But there's gonna be some times where you're gonna be broken, you're gonna be feeling something, there's gonna be somebody over here going, what are we eating for lunch? That's just human nature. But you still gotta be there. If you wanna be blessed, you gotta be there. If you wanna be healed, you gotta be there. If you wanna be filled, you gotta be there. Do you know that every revival started in church? When you look back to the Great Awakening with Jonathan Edwards, it started in a church. He was considered a congregational evangelist. When he wrote Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God, that message was for the church. And it stirred a revival, said of this revival that it pleased God to display his free and sovereign mercy in the conversion of a great multitude of souls in a short space of time, turning them from a formal, listen to this, cold, careless profession of Christianity to the lively exercise of every Christian grace and the powerful practice of our holy religion. We got our Methodist denominations, our Baptists, our Presbyterians from this great awakening. Then the second great awakening in 1800 to 1840 began in the church. Presbyterian minister James McGrady presided over strange spiritual manifestations in Kentucky. The resulting camp meeting drew thousands from Ohio and all kinds of other states because a church decided they wanted to be different. A church decided they wanted to give the devil something to talk about, to make demons flee. A church decided that they were gonna get behind their pastor and start praying and start telling people about Jesus. Don't shout me down while I'm preaching good. A church decided they were gonna do things different. They weren't gonna be religious. They weren't gonna sit around talking about what all the church should do if they wanna be successful. Get off your butt and go tell somebody about Jesus. I don't need no lecture from you. It led to Charles Finney all the way up to New York, half a million saved because a church decided they were gonna be different. How about North Dutch Church in New York City? They hired a businessman, he wasn't even a pastor, Jeremiah Lampfear, to be a lay missionary and he started 
a businessman's prayer meeting in the city. It led to revival in over 45 churches and over a million were saved over a four-year period because a church partnered with a businessman and they started praying for businesses. We're going to keep going. Mount Vernon Congregational Church, 1875 to 1885. Dwight L. Moody. You all have heard of him because men get the credit. But behind these men of God were great churches who decided they didn't want to be like everybody else. This guy didn't even attend school after the fifth grade. He couldn't spell. His grammar was awful. But he led one of the greatest revivals in the history of our nation in Chicago. 2.5 million people saved through his ministry. Then the Welsh revival in Pennsylvania, 1904 to 1905. We've heard Dutch Sheets get up here with a memoir from that revival and read about all the miracles that took place. And after Dutch did that in this church, we saw a miracle, a creative miracle. People were healed. It touched people from Nebraska, North and South Carolina, Georgia, Yale University, Asbury, Kentucky, led to Billy Sunday, who led hundreds of thousands to the Lord, and a young man named Billy Graham, who led thousands upon thousands and millions to the Lord because of that. Then Azusa Street, African-American preacher, and his church, Apostolic Faith Mission, in 1906. That was the church. Apostolic Faith Mission. Sounds Pentecostal, don't it? Apostolic Faith Mission. William Seymour began to pray and believe. He was a holiness pastor, and he believed in getting in the secret place with God, and, and people were saved. And this resulted in our Pentecostal and charismatic movements and denominations because an African-American man, who was a pastor, decided to be different. And God moved, and the assemblies of God, and the Pentecostals, and all of this was born out of a church that decided to be different. Post-World War II awakening, we saw Bill Bright, Billy Graham, as I mentioned, all different kinds of people. Then the rise of the black church that because of racism was pushed underground, the black church began to shine, and. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. took his first pastorate against his daddy's wishes and went to where my family's from, Montgomery, Alabama, Dexter Avenue Baptist Church. Everybody talks about it when he was co-pastor with his daddy in Atlanta, but where it started was Montgomery, Alabama. I've been to the church. I've stood behind his pulpit. They began to organize, and they began to stand up against racism and evil. And even though things aren't the way they ought to be, they're so much better because of Dr. King and Dexter Avenue Baptist Church and the movement that started right there where my family's from in Alabama. It led to the Jesus movement of the 70s. It led to Toronto and Brownsville, which I was in the midst of miracles with John Kilpatrick. He's been here many times to what God did here in the 90s for about nine years. And I would simply say this, I thank God for the patriarchs of the faith, but behind them, and it took a lot of research to find the names of the churches. But what I will tell you is, 
It all started with a church, man, that decided and dared to be different. Even Brownsville, it happened on Father's Day, a teenage girl who'd been a hellraiser got up there and started singing, come to the mercy seat. And the power of God hit a church and it went on for years and years, every night, people pouring in. I believe God wants to do that again, but he's looking for a place to do it. I believe this could be the place. If we'd get serious about the things of God again, if we'd pray again, if we'd sow again, if we'd show up when we're supposed to again. Church is essential. In this miracle of the man with the withered hand, you see that every time God's gonna do something new, the spirit of religion, that demonic spirit has to be exposed. It says they were watching him closely to see what he might do. Remember, we gotta give them something to talk about. They were watching Jesus closely to see what he might do. Listen, you got some haters watching you. You got some demons praying for you to fail. Go ahead and shine anyways. Lift up the name of Jesus anyways. He remembered the word. He remembered what it says in Psalms that the word will bring healing to his body and deliver us from our destructions. This man with a withered hand remembered. And then I close here and then we'll pray. In this miracle, a word of faith was released by Jesus. He said, step forward. The reason we have these altar calls is not because I get any kind of thrill out of how many people come. I've been on mission field, seen thousands come to Jesus is to give you an opportunity to get some of God because you're never gonna get where God wants you to do if you aren't willing to step forward and out of where you are into something new. Jesus said, step forward, stretch forth your hand. He, the word of faith was released, but listen, the word of faith released here every week. It has to be received. The word of faith was released, but the word of faith was received. I can preach my hind end off every week. My daddy can. We can get Ron Carpenter Jr. in here. We can get Bishop Bronner, the greatest to ever do it. But if you don't receive it, you ain't going to get nothing out of it. You got to receive it in your spirit by faith. And when you do that, things will happen. It must be released. It must be received and believed. But it must be acted upon. Once you receive that word, you gotta do something with it. Romans 10 says this, and I'll close here. The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart, the word of faith which we preach. See, we always quote this next part, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you shall be saved and you shall be saved. But what you don't understand is this is about the word of faith. This is about believing what God's word says and walking in that. And so first, I wanna give you an opportunity today to receive Jesus as your savior, but then I'm gonna pray for your healing. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, would you bow your head with me out of his house? If you're watching online, on your phone, in your home, I want you to pull off to the side of the road if you have to, this is important. You need Jesus. 
It starts. The way to the Father is through Jesus. That's what Jesus said. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. The greatest miracle that you'll ever receive on earth is salvation that's already been paid for. Because Jesus got up out of a grave. It's the greatest miracle. It's better than blind eyes opening. Better than limbs growing. The greatest miracle is making Jesus the Lord of your life. Because it's an eternal miracle. And if you need that, just pray this prayer with me. Say, dear Lord Jesus. Lord, forgive me of my sins. I confess that you are my Lord and Savior. Come into my life and save me. Fill me with your Holy Spirit and use me for your glory. In Jesus' name. Now, if you prayed that prayer and you're not ashamed of the gospel, I want you in just a moment to go to my right, your left, over here to see Pastor Angie and our team at the Next Steps table. Maybe you are already a Christian, but you don't have a church home. You're not under a covering. Listen, I got people from New Jersey, Georgia, everywhere, members of this church. Technology allows for that. If you want to join this church, you can do it online with our online pastor. You can go see Pastor Angie to my right, your left. But for everyone else, if you need healing today, I've got anointing oil. I'm going to pray for healing today. I know that Jack Baker needs a miracle. I know there are many others. Two people I know get down with COVID, I heard about this morning. And so as we go into the fall, we're not just gonna fall forward financially, Chad, we're gonna fall forward spiritually. And we're gonna pray a prayer of protection so none of us get sick so we can keep doing the work of the kingdom. So would you stand on your feet with me today? Do you have my oil? I'm just gonna anoint you, lay hands on you, declare that you were healed. You, I'm gonna release the word, you're gonna receive the word. But if you need it, you come down as our team leads us in worship today.